All right, welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Tammy Trenta. Tammy is the founder and CEO of Family Financial. And Tammy empowers families and business owners to keep more of their hard-earned money uh, and wealth and preserving and growing their wealth. And uh, she's really taking a holistic 360-degree view and approach to wealth and financial management. She's integrating not only financial planning, but also tax and legal guidance to deliver optimal income uh, to, their, to her clients. And um, her goal is really to save you time and money while optimizing your financial goals. Tammy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. So Tammy, yeah, we talked a little bit about uh, kind of uh, your your family financial practice and all of that. So tell us a little bit about kind of like what you're doing and how you're helping, uh, you know, families uh, achieve, uh, grow their wealth, protect their wealth and, uh, and, you know, kind of like and also get it done and get it passed through to the uh, to their descendant without paying too much taxes, I'm assuming. Sure. Well, I think the best way to describe what I do is a one-stop shop for all things financial. And that idea has developed over the course of being in the financial industry for 27 years, seeing where the gaps were. Um, you know, as a, a certified financial planner, our job is to be a generalist where you take in everything that someone has. You look at assets, you look at liabilities, you look at income, expenses. And once you have that holistic view, it puts you in a really strong position to deliver advice appropriate and beneficial for clients. When you're having to work with other members of a professional team, Oftentimes, they just have a different context. So it doesn't mean that their advice is bad or wrong. It just means that maybe they're not exposed to the same information that you are. So as an example, if you have an accountant, your accountant might only be looking at the income reports. That could be your W-2 wage. That could be your dividends. That could be your mortgage interest. They might not ever see your net worth. And so if you ask them a question without the context, you're going to get a different answer. And it's the same thing with legal. So what I like to do is have everyone together looking at the same thing so that the client receives collaborative, consistent advice, and they don't have to go answer shop to other people. Yeah. Well, this is very, yeah, this is very good. And this is what I found as well is that, yeah, people, sometimes people, then they don't collaborate they don't see the same uh they don't have the same point of view and they're very niche into their approach so the lawyer is going to look at their little little corner and then the cpa is going to look at their little corner and then uh you know it's your job i guess is to have the broadest perspective and then bring all these people together on the same page so that your clients can actually achieve uh, their goals and I really think that they appreciate it. Now we have in-house uh, advisors that have legal expertise and tax expertise. Um, and so, you know, many clients find that it's just easier 
go to the same person for all of those things. Um, you have less mistakes, less things that get overlooked. But that said, I think that the other advisors are the tax or the estate people are appreciative of those calls where you're collaborating because their business, if you think about it, they have a large number of clients. And the if you have an estate plan, it's not once. It's mm -hmm. not an ongoing relationship. And even with tax providers, they maybe have two or 300 returns to do in a short period of time. It's very hard to take every individual client and help figure out how they're optimizing their tax situations. A lot of it is reactive. They're looking backwards. They're just trying to get the tax return prepared and get it filed on time. So um, I have trouble sometimes getting a call with the accountant <laughs> I'm around tax season because yeah. of that lack of time. Yeah. And you have a very impressive background. I mean, you worked with Wells Fargo Private Client Services in Beverly Hills, financial planning specialist with Merrill Lynch, uh, and then you are also an investment advisor with Charles Schwab. These are the, the big players in the financial industry. And now you decided to start your own your own practice. So right. what made you do that change and you know and start your own your own practice? Well. At the time I joined the industry, it was very much a male-dominated industry, and, and, and I really wanted to learn. So I had listened to one of your podcasts, Eric, where you talk about growing up in like lower-middle-class family and feeling that pain of you know, scarcity. We're not having that money and feeling like you have to work for every penny that you and. Uh, my experience was a little bit different where we were maybe middle to upper class, but my parents lost everything in college wow. school. And, you know, I have to say that those experiences really can help shape us. And for me, what it did is it took me off the law school in the course of learning or into the, the, the path of learning about financial literacy. And so when I had, I was able to, when I was hired at Dean Witter, which was in the mid nineties, I thought, you know, even if I don't do this for a living, I will be able to learn this stuff for myself. Yeah. And that sort of changed it for me. Now, as I, everyone starts in the financial industry, either in the insurance sector or in one of the major wire houses. And there are certain licensing requirements that you need to obtain, like the Series 7. Mm -hmm. And so what I learned about working for these big banks is, you know, many of them have their own agenda and their agenda, yeah. their um, accountability is to the shareholder and not to the client. That's right. And that always bothered me that I mm. felt like I had widgets to sell or yeah. I had to sell proprietary investments over something that I thought was better. And I just felt like it was not really an ethical way to advise people. So, you know, the longer you stick in an industry, the more you can see where the gaps are and where people aren't getting the advice that they need. And I got to a point where I'm like, I've been around long enough, the bosses that I'm reporting to, I feel like I 
I maybe have more life experience than they do. And, you know, I think I'm ready. I'm ready mm -hmm. to do this. And yeah. so that, you know, I think we all get to that point, but um, in hindsight, I wish I had done it sooner because I did have all the things. It's mainly the fear that sometimes holds us back or getting out of our comfort zone. So that, yeah, those are very good points, definitely. So, and I know and we've talked about that, about the, these big boxes, uh, these big, uh, like Wells Fargo and, uh, you know, Merrill Lynch. I was with uh, Merrill Lynch, uh, or I was a client of Merrill Lynch. And this was always like that. They called themselves like financial advisor and financial planners, but really they don't have a fiduciary responsibility to you as a client. Uh, they are... Uh, salespeople they're selling like you mentioned widget for Miller Lynch and yes they're trying they understand your needs and stuff like that the same way a car salesman understand your needs whether you want a pickup or a, a sedan it's kind of the same thing but they're going to sell you a car so yeah. uh, and so you and I totally understand kind of your motivation and I think there I'm I'm predicting I shouldn't predict really but I'm I'm hoping I would say that there's going to be a more of a shift for these financial planner, I think for the financial planning profession to grow and evolve, I think more of these financial planners need to do the same move that you're doing, which is to, um, to be independent and be, a, be fiduciaries of, of your clients, which is, I, I'm assuming this is what you do with, uh, with Family Financial. You have Absolutely. a fiduciary responsibility to your client and you represent your client. So... Yes, because I never, ever want someone to think that there is any alternative agenda behind the exactly. advice we provide. Exactly. This is, and that's why, you know, I keep telling, you know, if you're not paying your financial advisor, they're not working for you. So, <laughs> so that's why, you know, with you, I think, yeah, so with a, a financial planner like yourself, yeah, you, you're offering a service and you are independent and you're truly representing the client. I think that's a that's a great service that uh, that you're doing, and I hope that more. Well, I hope that more people do the same thing. But I know it's going to increase your your competition. But <laughs> that's okay. I you know what I am industry focused, and if I can make the industry better in one way, then I I feel good about that. I think mm -hmm. you know the the independent space is such a tiny tiny segment of the overall wealth that is held in the financial institutions. And there is a large percentage of both people in those big box wirehouses and moving to the independent advisor. I think 10 years from now, we will have more fiduciaries. And what's surprising about it is the fiduciary standard is like, it's, it is the standard in most other countries. This is the one place where it's okay to be delivering financial advice with an ulterior agenda, where you're yeah, receiving yeah. a commission for the product that you sell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, a lot of your clients are uh, their affluent families, their high net worth individual. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of strategies, obviously, when you have the bigger your wallet, the more strategies you have, the more things you can do with your money and all of that. But, you know, on you know, a lot, most people are not in that situation. Any, any kind of strategies that some of the middle class uh, work, hardworking Americans can use to kind of advance their, uh, their finances and their family wealth? That's a great question. So I have a 
pyramid put together, and it might be described, the very bottom pyramid, there are, we call them the spenders. And those are the, those families that live paycheck to paycheck, they don't have the ability to save. So, you know, it's very much a scarcity mindset. And in the next level up, you've got savers. And that might be someone like my mother, who is a school teacher, who understood the value of saving, but didn't really understand anything about finance. And beyond that, you get to the investor. And the investor is someone who's accumulated some money. They've got some financial expertise, um, but they have to multiple people to help them navigate, right? Their lives become more complex. And then you get to the highest stage, which is the wealth creator. And those are oftentimes the business owners or perhaps the real estate investors that have really created their own wealth. 99% of population is in the spender and the saver category. And so what I would say to that is you don't have to stay where you are you have a choice. You have a choice to jump levels, but in order to jump levels, you have to number one, be your own financial advocate. Um, you know, a, a spender may not have any money to hire an advisor and therefore they're not going to get the best advice because they can't afford it. You have savers that can afford an advisor but that segment of the population is a breeding ground for commission-based advisors because, yeah. I mean, think about it. If someone has $100,000 and they go into a major bank and that bank rep says, oh, you've got this money, why don't you talk to our investment person? And 10 minutes later, they're in an annuity that the advisor Ooh. got paid 8%, right? Yeah. That's $8,000. Yeah. For us, since we work on a percentage, for Mm. us to make the same amount of money, we would need $800,000. And so that's the advice is authentic when you're targeting people who are not financially savvy and you're working with brokers. So the, the most important thing, if you have accumulated some money, you do have the ability to save, is go on to broker check. Mm-hmm. Broker check. You can look up an advisor's name, and if it says B, then you know they're a broker. If it says I A, you know they're an independent advisor. And if it says B and I A, they're still a broker. They just yeah. also have an advisory yeah. business. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is very good. So this is broker check, right? Brokercheck.com. Yes, broker check. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, this is very good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is, if you're a spender, this is living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, so, you know, it takes a lot of effort to go from spenders to savers. You either have to get a side gig or really look very closely at how you spend your money and yeah. really start saving, you know, really cut down on things that you, you may not need. Uh, once you're in the saver category and getting into more the investor category, it's it's a little it's a little bit easier and once you save enough money i mean i talk to a lot of people that are in the savers category and they're just starting to invest they're just transitioning buying a single family rental for example and mm-hmm. they save they save like 30 or 40,000 dollars and now they buy their first 
in investment properties. Yes. So this, I talk to a lot of people like that. I talk to also some, a lot of people that are spenders yes. and move to savers. And I'm telling them that it takes a lot of effort to go from spenders to savers. You have to really cut down. You don't watch TV. Get cut the cable. Uh, you know, sacrifice. and eat at home. Make sacrifice, and then find a side gig. Um, you know. Agreed. Especially yeah. now with the emergence of the gig economy, it's not yes. uncommon to see individuals that have day jobs that are doing side hustle. Great way to create some extra money to save, you mm -hmm. know, if you're not able to do that. And, you know, I think at the bottom where it really starts to have an impact is imagine if the entire educational system imagine if every high school required a course in financial literacy yeah. i think that would change the world we would I have so. fewer spenders we would have more savers mm. um because you know i think you mentioned in a former podcast everyone had defined benefit pension plans they yeah. weren't needing to learn about it themselves or companies did it for them mm. And now in this day and age, you really have to advocate for yourself, work with a fiduciary, make sure the advice is objective. And, and it's not easy to do because so many advisors will call themselves a fiduciary, even though they're not. And the term financial advisor can mean insurance salesperson. It can mean broker. It can mean so many different things. So you really have to do your homework. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm glad you mentioned financial literacy. I, I, I'm also a big proponent of that. And this is why, you know, why I'm doing these, uh, these YouTube channel and I post on TikTok and all of that. And uh, because I want people to be aware of, you know, of that, what they need to do, kind of like how to look at numbers, how to look at investment, how to look at their budget and all of that. And, um, you know, and how you can do some some decisions that are contrary to what what mainstream or Wall Street want them to do, and mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's important. And having that financial literacy, I mean, the cynical my cynical self is thinking that they did it on purpose. They want people to be ignorant, and uh, so that they can continue to buy and consume and all of that, while the top one percent or five percent are actually enjoying. They have financial literacy. And then they can enjoy enjoy that. That's my cynical self. Mm -hmm. But what does it take to make it happen? What does it take to have people? The number one thing is to learn about financial literacy. What what does it take to change the education system to show to show this to teach people this? Yeah, and and some of it is, I mean, I think Governor DeSantis, <laughs> regardless of your political affiliation, he's mandating it in mm -hmm. high schools. And yeah. I think that's an important step. Um, I certainly was not financially literate, even though my parents, I grew up in the real estate business. When I, when my family lost everything, mm -hmm. I was scarred by that. And yeah. the idea of investing in real estate at that time was scary. And, you know, now I've sort of have a method of how to do it. I, I know the analytics. And so even though I'm advising on money, I will always look and analyze a piece of real estate for a client and have those discussions with them. Because as you know, sometimes it can be an emotional purchase. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. oh, my uncle money in real estate and that's my path. And so... I kind of like to 
look at every option as an opportunity. So uh, one other thing that you mentioned too is the, uh, you mentioned defined benefit, right? My, my parents, my father was like, you know, we're living paycheck to paycheck, definitely a spender. There was no savings, uh, anything that happened. But he still managed to retire. It was, uh, you know, he had the pension plan and he's, he's retired and he doesn't have to worry about anything. Yes. All these things are gone now. There's no none of these corporate pension plan. And you mentioned that the importance of everybody becoming their own financial advocate, really focusing on their finances and the 401k savings. It's not it may not be sufficient for you to retire on. Uh, if you have a 401k, if you don't have a 401k or uh, any kind of retirement saving, then it's another it's another discussion. But again, becoming your own financial advocate and then knowing that this is extremely important and you need to focus on that as soon as possible. I did a, a spreadsheet that showed if you could just do the employer match and defer um, a little bit out of your paycheck and save 10% of what you earn every year, you could, you could be a millionaire by the time you're 40. Mm. And so it's just that mindset of setting a goal and figuring out what you need to do to achieve that goal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And people, uh, yeah, people don't realize that, but I mean, this is why it's so important to do it as early as possible, that Absolutely. you have a lot more options and it's a lot less painful than if you wait very long time and then you have to decide uh, kind of how, how you're going to make it, how you're going to save $2 million in the next uh, six months because you're retiring soon. You know, it's a lot easier to save $2 million when you, you, you begin, you're 20 years old and you have 40 years to save that. Yes. Well, time tends to accelerate results. And so if you're doing all the right things and you're on track, you will find at one point that the income that you have coming off of your investment portfolio is looks like a salary. Um, that's an, that was an eye-opener for me because yeah. um, my parents were not great savers. Um, that can happen is if you delay and delay, every five years you delay, you have to double the amount that you're saving. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if we have a, an access of time versus money, these making it, running out of money, barely making it, having financial you're as close ever going to be today to be able to jump those curves. And so the more you wait, the more, the more difficult it is, to, you know, something really big needs to happen for you to be able to jump lines to get to the, um, the place of success that you want to be. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, the other thing too that uh, about financial planners in general is uh, the, especially the one I'm talking, not the, necessarily the ones that have uh, the independent advisor, I'm talking more about the one that work in the big box and how they sell a product like Merrill Lynch, for example, they would sell you know the things that the services and the products that they offered. And uh, so they don't sell real estate. They don't get make any money uh, for real estate. Uh, so they're never going to tell you that, hey, you know, you should have like 25% of your portfolio or 40% of your portfolio in rental real estate. Mm -hmm. So how about uh, at Family Financial? I know you have your family were, uh, was in real estate. Is this the, are you including real estate rentals as part of and as an important component of your portfolio? 
question. And every client is different, mm -hmm. as you know, but most of my clients own real estate and they own investment real estate. And I help them, you know, I have one client who owns nine properties and, you know, his investment account was small at the time. And now he's got millions of dollars because of the planning that we so I think that there is value in both. Mm -hmm. I think opportunity is everything, right? There could be mm -hmm. a terrible piece of real estate to, yeah. but if you're hooked on that, I have to buy real estate, you might not make a well-informed financial decision. It's the same thing with investing in the stock market. There's good stocks and bad stocks. So I look at, and let's that financial outcome. And if it's not stocks and it's state, the first person to tell someone, this is a great opportunity. Um, you know, you should go for it. Another thing I will tell you that, you know, it, it does help the rich get richer, but wealthy people have access to very low borrowing rates. And so when you have accumulated a taxable investment account, you can borrow against that investment account to fund real estate investors. So, you know, if your goal is no money down, you're using other people's money to create these income streams. Um, and as you know, with real estate, the depreciation component can become very valuable. Yeah. So it is part of almost all of my clients' investment strategies and it, folds into what the estate planning strategies will be. Um, you know, I have countless examples of how we have designed things to help people just keep more of what they earn and minimize their tax liability. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you can make bad investment in any asset class. So that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> uh, what, about, uh, what about crypto? What are your, uh, what's your opinion on crypto as part of uh, family wealth planning? Um, so cryptocurrency is, I think, still in a very speculative form. Um, I do think that like more companies are adopting crypto. I think it will become, it will become an economy at some point. The U.S. government will adopt cryptocurrency. So, you know, if I have a client that would like to invest in it, you know, a simple rule of thumb is don't it's let's call it gambling because it's speculative. You could lose all your money. I don't have any history of predictability on it. Very limited. And so only invest what you expect to lose and make sure that whatever amount of money it is, it does not compromise your financial independence goal. And that's how I look at it. So for some that might be 10 or 20 percent of their portfolio for. Yeah because they're dead of anything speculative. But yeah, I, I think that there's definitely like cryptocurrency is here to stay. It's just still in its speculative stages right now. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I like also how you put it too, is that as long you can invest in this as long as it doesn't compromise your, your, uh, your goals. So Correct. I think this is very good. And I mean, you look even at uh, 
some of the the people that have a lot of money like the elon musk and yes. all of that i mean this they spend they invested but they invest one percent of their uh of their wealth on on that so just to give you a, an idea exactly and so, right and it, it in dollar amount it might seem like billions yeah but that doesn't mean if if that doesn't work out they're still a billionaire exactly exactly <laughs> And if it works out, then, oh, my God, we're going to have to, they're trillionaires. Hopefully they, give more to, hopefully they give more to the causes they're passionate about. Yeah, or buy more social media. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, well, so Tammy, this is, uh, this was a great conversation. Um, so thank you very much for, uh, for spending this, uh, this time with me. If people want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best place for them to, uh, to reach out to you? So I have a website for my business that is familyfinancial.biz. Mm -hmm. Okay. People can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. Tammy Trenta, you can do a search and it's a public okay. page. Very good. Well, thank you, Tammy. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Have a great day, Eric. Take care. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martell. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.